Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. Hello, hello. It is indeed Album Nerds Podcast time. I'm Dude, got Andy and Don. We're going to talk about albums today, guys. Are you jazzed? Darn, I was going to use that line. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> I said I'm going to do the whole show in scat, if that's okay with you guys. Just going to skill bop. Wow. You guys get that? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's that's, uh, very cringy, but yes, I get it. All right. So uh, the reason that we're getting uh, jazzed and we're scatting, that was Andy, no one else, is that uh, today we're we're talking about 1960s jazz. Uh, The musical wheel of destiny that we spin at the end of every show dictates what kind of albums we listen to gives us a chance to maybe explore some new things, learn something about ourselves and each other. Aww. All right. So, uh, Don, take it away. Why don't you get into uh, the albums we're exploring? Okay. Well, the, the 1960s was uh, an interesting decade for, for jazz. And it was just a period of uh, experimentation and, and fusion uh, as the musicians kind of wandered away from that, that bop sound of, of the 50s. So each of us uh, is presenting a, an album from 1960s jazz. Uh, we're also going to have our uh, question of the week, uh, and then we'll we'll spin the renovated wheel of musical destiny uh, again. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So what are we talking about? So um, jazz guys, what is your experience, expectations with jazz? I guess of the 60s and as a whole for me i'll start with kind of blue i think in college dug that record a lot and i felt like it was pretty easy to get into that record so then expanded from there a little bit it was a great time period in jazz so i'm excited to dig into these three records we picked out but what about, what about you guys where do you how do you come into this topic uh i know next to, to nothing about jazz it's funny that you mentioned the the miles davis kind of blue record you know somewhere along the way i decided oh you know i really you know, I'm a music guy, right? So I need to, uh, I need to check out some jazz. And so kind of blue is maybe one that I found on some list. Um, so that's one that I've had in my collection and I've, I listen to uh, occasionally, you know, when I want to pretend that I, that I understand jazz. And then I don't know, a month or two ago, we did the, the Sonny Rollins record. Saxophone Colossus. Right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so right now, you know, I basically have two jazz albums. <laughs> I, I know. Well, Don, I mean, you've had a long time love affair with the, stylings of kenny g but we don't oh, need to get into that here about that yep <laughs> poor kenny g he gets forgotten i know he yeah. does uh, so <laughs> he deserves it got a rag on g um so for me again probably a little more than than don just because of the show and andy's influence i've i've mentioned before it seems a little overwhelming and scary and i've never had to dig in and really find something before so i was excited to have the chance to find my own foot in the door, find my own way in that might really get me interested because, you know, I'd love to fill my record selves with more stuff and uh, <laughs> jazz seems like a really good candidate. So let's dive into this and see how we do. You choo choo choose me? All right, all right, all right. So for my 1960s jazz selection, we're starting right out with one of the one of the big releases of the decade, going from John Coltrane and his record, 
uh, Giant Steps. This came out back in February of 1960. I described it as a, a bold new adventure. He really shook up things in the genre and had a pretty massive influence on how jazz was going to develop over the next 10 years. It's really a giant step. It's like, yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. Aptly named. These guys are very creative. You obviously get it. You are now a jazz hound. (laughs) Crack the code. (laughs) Uh, Why don't we play a little snippet from that title cut? Here's Giant Steps. Yeah, that's, <laughs> this may not be the easiest record to get into um, if you're still kind of on the fringes of jazz or on the outside looking in, because he really blows the doors off things right out of the gate on this record. The big shift in sound here was a lot of jazz in the 50s dealt with melody and kind of variations on a melody throughout a track. But Coltrane here really put the shift more on the solo and experimentations within a solo framework more. And melody was really pushed to the background. There's a lot of technical stuff we could go into um, in terms of what that means in these songs and how they were structured. I do not really understand a lot of it, to be honest with you. I've read a lot of Wikipedia pages, listed some clips. It's very complicated. Um, and I think that's kind of the downside of jazz is it has this sort of collegiate, almost like you know, Don and I were talking, kind of like an equation you have to crack here to really appreciate what goes into making these songs. I read one quote from a jazz journalist. He said that Coltrane's polytonal torrents extricate the amicable and otherwise cordial solos that have been decaying the very extensicity of the genre, which I had to look up because I'd never even heard that word before, turning it into the equivalent of easy listening. Uh, which I think she's just saying that uh, the genre was becoming a little bit too palatable for people. And Coltrane just turned that on the head and made it very difficult for people to appreciate. Again, especially with this particular album. Guys, what did you think? Digestible or was this, could you find a way in? I did. And maybe it's because my palette was already set up, you know, because I, I had been, you know, spending time with, with, with my record. Yeah, actually, I, I was, you know, driving around with my wife and I said, oh, you know, I, I have some homework to do. Do you mind if we listen to this, this John Coltrane record? And it, and it came on and I was a bit, a bit shocked because it's just, it's so like in your face. I, I think you know his saxophone is. It's so prominent. I mean, it's really the the voice of uh, of the songs. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it wasn't really a like a shock to to, to my system, dude. <laughs> Virtuosic sax playing is cool, but what I noticed in that song was that they're following him, and when you start to pick those pieces out, like you don't have to get all the ins and outs, but when you start to understand. Who's driving the... The train? Yeah, the coal train. uh, Yeah, who's driving the train? That's part of what makes it interesting because then you start following that along. And then the other pieces, the drums and everything in the bass, although at times have their own solos and everything, it's clearly in support of what he's doing. Those little things are the fun details to find. That's really a good point because... That's a really good point, yeah. yeah, When I I listen to, to jazz, I mean, unlike pop music where you've... 
you know, you've basically got, you know, the, the rhythm section or, or the bass, like somebody's always playing like the, the root note, you know, and that's just kind of providing the foundation. And then, you know, everybody else is, you know, kind of going off on their own on that. But sometimes with jazz, there's the impression that kind of everybody is doing their own thing, you know, and you, and you don't know who's driving the train. Uh, yeah, it's the, imp- the improv, the improvisation of it, it's feel. And that's part of what makes this music so cool is that it's all feel. Yeah, feel, and I think a big part of it is just listening to each other and kind of getting a feel for where the, where the person is heading kind of before they get there so you guys can arrive there at the same time. It's it's cool. It's a very collaborative effort. I think this Coltrane record in more so is more of a Coltrane-led project, as you as you were saying, dude. Like he's really the driving force behind a lot of these tracks. Um, but some of the other records we're going to get into later on the show, I think, really do share more of that, that group dynamic that, that we're talking about. So a little bit of background on this record. Um, so it was recorded in the summer of 1959, literally two weeks before uh, Coltrane had wrapped up his recording with Miles Davis on Kind of Blue, which is one of the more well-known jazz records of the period. Um, so that tie-in is pretty cool. There's a lot of overlap between Coltrane and Davis at this time period. And a lot of people that play on this record also played on Kind of Blue and some other other you know, Coltrane and Davis related projects from this time period. So a lot of overlap on what these guys were doing. Though the sounds are very different. I mean, Kind of Blue is much more focused on melody, whereas this record, as we were saying, is much more focused on solo. But the next song we're going to play is actually a take on a Miles Davis track, which was entitled uh, Countdown, which is a version of the Davis track called Tune Up from 1956. Uh, He basically took the structure of that song and remapped it, gave it some of his own sound to it, and that came out as Countdown. We're going to play a little bit of that now. Now, Andy, is it true that Europe's The Final Countdown was uh, inspired by this? I knew that, no. <laughs> Doesn't somebody have an album, Countdown to Extinction? Is that like that's Megadeth. Megadeth, that's right. Yeah, that's definitely Coltrane-influenced. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, remember that part in the album when he's like, Hey, me, it's me. And <laughs> when John Coltrane does that? No. Meet the real me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I noticed that there's no, it just starts with a solo. There's no real intro. There's no head head to it, as they say. It's it's kind of like what we'll be talking about later with, with my pick. It, there are certain, there were rules to jazz. And I think in the 60s, those rules started being goofed with a little bit. And he threw the rules out the window on some of these, these songs. And one of them is don't start with a solo. <laughs> yeah, that song is wild, man. Comes in with a drum solo, then there's a sax solo, and like they hint at the melody like on the very outro of the song, like people as soon as it was ending. Which is, yeah, at the time that was unheard of, and it really opened a lot of doors for what was possible in the genre. And I think uh, he would explore on later records, um, and a lot of other artists obviously would kind of follow in his footsteps. Uh, I think I could come back to you with this that track in particular, and this whole record it kind of felt like jazz punk rock to me because it kind of is in your face and very fast and abrupt the whole record is less than 40 minutes long and it covers a huge amount of territory yeah there's only like one real break in it right the one ballad yeah there's one slow ballad which i think is maybe the most beautiful song on the record it's entitled amia which is named after coltrane's first wife that's just this beautiful sleepy ballad why don't we play a little bit not right now Thank you. 
feel like that track, I read a few people saying this, like would fit in pretty nicely on Kind of Blue. It has like that similar vibe and obviously much more focus on the melody. I like that rasp in the sax, which gives it more of a sultry emotion to it. You know, this this song was actually mentioned on a Black Star album, Talib Kweli raps, I love rocking tracks like John Coltrane, Love Naima. Nice. I, yeah, I just, I, I love that the influences of this go beyond. It doesn't have to be a jazz album to be influenced by John Coltrane. John Coltrane's very existence can be influential to <laughs> an artist that does a different genre of music. A lot of the songs on this record end up becoming, they call it like a jazz standard, which means people would, would cover it frequently or would be used um, to teach people uh, different concepts in jazz. So it's very influential. Not an easy listen, though. Not for the faint of heart, in my opinion, but definitely important and I think uh, worth your time. If you can give some headspace to it, uh, Giant Steps will definitely uh, take you there. Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. And now it's time on the show when we ask ourselves a question. Now, jazz is often kind of used as a gathering party music. You know, it's kind of pleasant. It's... It shows that you're classy, right? So uh, what kind of music do you play when you're entertaining? Hosting a gathering, uh, family game night, whatever it may be. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess it's the old radio programmer in me, but I, I'm very deliberate about what kind of music I play when I'm, when I'm entertaining. And even when I go out to a bar, if there's like the jukebox, I think they call it touch tunes, um, where I can, can take over the jukebox with my, my phone. I, I generally do that and I kind of like to, to sculpt, uh, an, an atmosphere. So. Nice. You know, when people come over, I, I try to think about how old they are and what would have been popular, you know, when they were in high school or in college. And I, I try to please people. Uh, but then I also try to mix in some of my own stuff, you know, some of my own favorites to, to whet people's appetites or something, um, or, or to influence them. But I actually have a, a block party next weekend, you know, a neighborhood block party. And I always, you know, bring my speakers and I create a playlist for it. And I, I mean, I spend hours cultivating that that playlist um and i'm all over the place you know you've got a shortcut this year my man all you got to do now that you're a member of the album nerds podcast uh family here you just play all the playlists from our shows because we do make playlists from all the tracks we play that's all you got to (laughs) do good point boom block party done (laughs) that's impressive man jeez a lot of thought into it i don't entertain (laughs) i don't like people well i get bored in about half an hour after I've had the same conversation I had with them the last time. So, <laughs> how's work? Work's good. Blah, blah. Uh, but typically what I what I like to do when those occasions come, that this will keep me entertained, is I put together a playlist, but I do it on YouTube, and it's all music videos. So, I'll have music videos playing on a screen and playing over the speakers, and that causes there to be interesting conversations. Like, oh... I didn't know what Barry Gibb looked like if Staying Alive comes on, right, from the Bee Gees. Or, I haven't heard this Twisted Sister song since I was a kid. So, it's just a mix of country music and everything under the sun. But I do look for, like, classic Madonna videos and things of that nature to help elicit memories and maybe make some more interesting conversations than how's work. Wow. Yeah. Videos are good at that, for sure. Making a playlist, to me, sounds like it would take me, like, months of effort and consideration and structuring and then p- people probably wouldn't even listen to it closely anyway so i usually just go for albums i guess that's kind of a little bit of a 
easier approach for me. Just be like, what album fits this mood and put that on. But yeah, I think jazz works really nice in most circumstances because it's no vocal, obviously can be very disruptive if you're trying to have a conversation and someone is competing in the background, also having a, a sun conversation. Other thing that I've picked up on, especially with parties, the placement of the speakers is really important, I think. Um, so I think having speakers higher up or lower down in the room really helps kind of give some, some acoustic space to conversations that you're trying to promote, I guess, by having good good background music. Yeah, that's a good point. I try to keep the sound system as far away from people as possible, you know, so it has to be loud enough for them to hear, even if it's in like another room or something. You know, I, I think that's often good because you don't want to you don't want to drown out conversation. I do. <laughs> <laughs> but i'll say it feels good when somebody compliments the music totally. yeah yeah it's like you know yeah that was way, way to take credit for someone else's art <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i picked that out that's right it's on me <laughs> yeah that's right i would do anything for love but i can't do that i put that on that list <laughs> so yeah how about you folks what do you play when you're entertaining jazz playlists cannibal corpse let us know hit us up on the socials and on album nerds discord mr callahan i need your john hancock on these reports john hancock it's herbie hancock nice okay so we're gonna fast forward a a few years to, to 1965 march of 1965 uh this is the fifth album uh, from Herbie Hancock, uh, born Herbie Jeffrey Hancock in, in 1940, uh, American jazz pianist, keyboardist, and band leader, composer. This is an album called Maiden Voyage, uh, and here's the, the title track. So, uh, Maiden Voyage is it's, it's actually a, a concept album. Uh, and it's supposed to be creating a, an oceanic atmosphere. So the song titles, you know, have nautical or, or marine biology sort of themes. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. I, I guess that's one thing that that excited me a, a, about the album. But yeah, so this is uh, Herbie Hancock uh, on piano. I've got tenor saxophonist George Coleman, trumpeter Fred Hubbard, uh, bassist Ron Carter, and and drummer Tony Williams. Yeah, so basically the best drummer in the world. Excellent choice. Uh, and so <laughs> uh, four of these five guys were actually part of the the Miles Davis uh, quintet. So m- my three words, uh, I just did Don's Maiden Voyage. Because uh, this is, <laughs> <laughs> I hate talking in the third person, but. Uh, <laughs> I think it suits you. Donnie Likey. <laughs> So yeah, it's like my main voice. You know, this is the first jazz record that I'm that I'm bringing to the table. So it was uh, you know a different experience for me to to really immerse myself in a record and and to to have to to talk about it. Yeah, but so what do you guys uh, think of the the Herbie Hancock record? I think this, I think this is a very good pick to have this following the Coltrane record because I think this holds up a lot of the things the Coltrane record does not interest itself in at all. I get a lot more emotion from this record. Uh, it feels much more warm and kind of inviting, but definitely not boring or too accessible. Like I think there's enough going on here to make it feel substantial, for sure. And it's much more of that group-style play, which I, I think the Coltrane record really doesn't interest itself with at all. And this is really, the group dynamic is there, and it's easy to hear 
all these musicians. Uh, I think Hancock throughout his entire career is very good at kind of letting people play with him and not just trying to dominate the songs. I think that's evident here. You got a lot of talented musicians playing with him, especially George Coleman, who wasn't someone I knew by name before, but I think he really shines on this record on the sax. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like this record a lot. Going back to the word sublime, I feel like this is just a nice, nice combination of things all kind of smooth together. Yeah, this uh, being the middle of the decade is, is kind of nice too because it does feel like something is peaking here in terms of a particular sound the smoothness and maybe it's that sort of oceanic quality that especially in maiden voyage and some of the other songs where you hear kind of waves in the horns and and the piano kind of calms the storm but it does it feels more like dinner party music type of a thing like we were talking about earlier you know the nautical theme i mean so would you say that herbie hancock is like a Sailor man, piano man, he's piano man. <laughs> piano, piano, piano man. Playing piano like no one can. Something like that, you know? That's kind of what I got from it. Wow. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Rock operas episode, folks. Go back and figure out what gibberish I'm talking about. Yeah, so I, I think... You know, comparing it to the to the Coltrane record, there is just more space in it, I, I guess. And that's sort of, I, I guess, what gives it sort of that... That water vibe, that that oceanic vibe, which is interesting because I mean I, I tend to think of jazz as being sort of an urban genre, you know. So I picture people in in cities or, or something, but um, but here, you know, I feel like it's I'm, I'm on a boat somewhere, you know. It, it's not all um, easy listening, like the the maiden voyage. Here's uh, the eye of the hurricane. Yeah, the beginning of that. It sounds like Tony is fighting for a lead on that song over the piano, but then Herbie takes it back. Hmm. You're obsessed with this Tony guy. Yeah, I know. He's probably some kind of genius that only another genius would talk about. <laughs> yeah, one of my f- favorite moments uh, on the album is the, uh, the the last track, Dolphin Dance. It kind of comes to a nice sort of uh, fade out. Well, it's not really a fade out, but it just, just quietly uh, comes to, a, to an end. So here's, uh, here's a, a bit of Dolphin Dance. Tony. Yes. <laughs> he steals the show, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, one thing in listening to these jazz records, I guess I just recognize how much it informs a lot of the, the progressive music that I like, you know, particularly Pink Floyd. Wait, wait. Hold the phone. You like Pink Floyd? <laughs> so he says, yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't find a jazz album by John Waters. John Waters. <laughs> Not John Waters. What's his name? Roger, Roger Waters. Roger Waters. Yeah, he's a Waters. Yeah, I couldn't even find a, a British guy to do. That's a good point. But anyway, yeah, so I, you know, I, I think jazz informs a, a lot of that, that more progressive sounding uh, rock of the, uh, of the 70s. I don't want to talk too much about this record because I'm just going to sound stupid because I because I'm still ignorant uh, uh, about it. I, I saw one note said Hancock is is one of the primary architects of the post bop sound. 
So my understanding is that that bop or hard bop and bebop or she bop. Yeah. Yeah. Rock study, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, was that a, was that? That's a Ninja Turtle. Yeah. Oh, there you go. With yeah. One of the villains. Wow, we're really mixing it up. Thanks, Herbie. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I mean, so like the fifties was kind of the, the bop style generally. And then it transitioned into like hard bop, I guess they call it more in the sixties here. Then later in the late nineties, the bop was right <laughs> right we're getting a lot of mileage out of this yeah still <laughs> half hour on bop yeah so it seems like you know coltrane and and hancock and miles davis they all are kind of moving away from that 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 50 sound exactly yeah i you know hancock's one of those rare guys who he's still pretty active and still putting out music and he's very influential on what's going on in the jazz space today as much as he was back in the 60s and he really came to prominence in the 70s even like so he's been relevant which is really rare in this genre because it changes so much um so he's always he's kind of i want to say like the madonna of jazz but it's always like reinventing himself <laughs> sort of. <laughs> jazz. oh my god who's a better example <laughs> Uh, we're going insane, but, no, he he let he's the Paul McCartney of jazz. Ooh, How about Paul that? McCartney of jazz. Interesting. There. Yeah, and I actually, I mean, I knew the the name Herbie Hancock because he actually had a, a hit record in the in the nineteen eighties. It was more of a an electronic sound. There it is. Yes, uh, I used to I used to break dance that shit, boys. <laughs> Yeah, when there were when there were breakdancing music compilations and stuff, this was always, you know, one of those. I mean, it was like a groundbreaking video. It had like robots and, and stuff like that. He went electro funk. I remember finding a, a Herbie Hancock record in my dad's collection and be like, oh, cool, Herbie Hancock. Because this is what I, you know, I knew. And I put it on and it was jazz. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I don't want to hear piano. <laughs> But it lent itself not to the break dancing where you're like on the ground, but the the like miming stuff, pretending you're touching a glass wall. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. The robot involved, I assume. Anyway, so that is Herbie Hancock with his fifth album, Maiden Voyage. And now word from our sponsor, us. This is friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. Hey there, music fans. Do you love the album format? All right. Hey, uh, are you guys looking for a place to talk about albums? Why don't you come on over to the Album Nerds Discord at albumnerds.com slash discord. You can join the community and, uh, you know, find out what we're listening to, get some recommendations, find out what's coming up on future shows. You could even suggest topics for the musical Wheel of Destiny right there. Interactive podcasting, wave of the future. How amazing. Get in while the getting's good, folks. Spots are still available. Albumnerds.com slash Discord. Sell peanuts, sell peanuts. All right, folks. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. It's Tony time. That's right. My pick is the Tony Williams Lifetime. Now, Tony just about took over everything in jazz. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then he tried to break it. The album is Emergency. It came out in August of 1969. It's a jazz fusion with rock with 60s rock. So why don't we uh, jump in and listen to a little bit from the title track, Emergency. All right, so that was the Tony Williams Lifetime with uh, Emergency. And 
Definitely crossing some boundaries, breaking some rules, trying some new things. Founded in 1969, Power Trio with John McLaughlin on electric guitar. British guy. Hey. In your face, Don. Did it. <laughs> and Larry Young on organ. It was largely rejected by jazz listeners at the time because of its heavy rock influences, but now it's looked on as a fusion classic. So there's a lot of jazz elements here. Some of the songs are jazzier than others. Some are almost straight up rock. But this dude's drumming. I mean, he drummed with Miles Davis. He was obviously on that Herbie Hancock album, basically ruling that album. And his uh, he's just like ridiculous. This is some of the most ridiculous drumming I've ever heard. That's driving the conversation most of the time through these songs. And um, I really got into it. I even bought it. So Whoa. Nice. Gentlemen, what'd you think? I, I like the record. It's for sure. I, I kept struggling with like how much jazz is in here. At times, there feels like there's a fair amount. That opening cut, uh, Emergency, that feels more like a rock track to me, for sure. But I think the rest of the record does get into some jazz territory, and uh, it's pretty interesting when it does. Um, it sounds so much like 70s to me. I wouldn't have thought this was from the 60s. Um, that guitar sound sounds 70s guitar to me. Well, it was like right on the on the edge here, and I think they were breaking that ground. And, and John McLaughlin was also poached by Miles Davis, and he was on uh, Bitches Brew as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it overall. I think it's a, a fun record. Um, I was having a hard time connecting it to the other two, but I think uh, that's an interesting thing about jazz is that you know, it spreads out and it's very influential, especially in American music. So Yeah, if this album, you know, I mean, it wasn't a, a shock at all to, to my system because, you know, somebody who's always liked, you know, psychedelic rock. I mean, that's basically what, what this, this sound is. I guess I, I think I get it now, though. Like, I, I guess I think maybe my doorway into jazz is sort of the that psychedelic rock because somehow I was able to appreciate the Floyd solos that go on for, for 10 minutes, you know, but I never uh, appreciated, uh, you know, those, those jazz solos, but now it, it, it all kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. This is a, this is a cool record. I mean, I was shocked to, to hear guitar. I remember years ago, I was having a conversation with somebody and we were talking about jazz and I, and I mentioned guitar and the person was like, what guitar is not a jazz instrument. Um, that's what he sounded like. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> I'd like to meet that guy. <laughs> so the, you know, so, uh, this is another album I, you know, that's, that's breaking the rules. Yeah. I mean, it's got some of the most important parts of jazz improvisation, rhythm and a swing feel. And it's got organ and drums and yes, especially electric guitar. Like acoustic guitar was okay in, in jazz, but electric guitar more rare. Yeah. was crossing the line a little bit. So why don't we jump into another song? This is Spectrum. It's got a little bit more of a jazz groove. It's got some rock freakouts mixed in, but um, I, I think it kind of, for me, it's one of the, the best on the album as it kind of gives us a little bit of both worlds. You got to know what you're getting into when you, when you listen to this, because it is... It's intense, like the whole, the whole way through. Maybe my biggest critique would be it doesn't slow down very much. It's pretty <laughs> breakneck pace. Yes. My favorite part of the record, I think, is the moment when it does slow down a little bit. There's a really cool track towards the end, Sangria for Three, that has like, it's really upbeat and pretty raucous all the way through, but it does break down into a nice quiet moment towards the end, which I think 
and it early needed by the time we got to that point of the record. Yeah, that that song does have the kind of a rock swagger to it, but it is more like playful jazz at its core. Uh, maybe Wikipedia just was incomplete or something, but uh, so I, I didn't see a, a bass player credited. So I assume those bass lines are done on the organ. Correct. Okay. Just like the doors. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, there, this is there's doorsiness here for sure. There is. Yeah. I thought about that, but totally. I love the organ on the on this record. I think it works really well with that style guitar. What awesome build that would have been to see like uh, the doors open for the Tony Williams lifetime. Well, yeah, I gotta I gotta do it that way for respect for Tony right. Williams because you know he's the best <laughs> drummer ever. <laughs> you just have Tony Williams sit in with, with the doors. That would be would be what <laughs> <laughs> that would be something. Ah, okay. <laughs> So Williams will go a little bit more. He uh, full name Anthony Tillman Williams, and he started professionally at thirteen as a drummer, and was in Miles Davis band by the time he was seventeen. Wow, yeah, That's yeah. All these guys yeah. were youngsters too. Like Herbie Hancock was like twenty two or something when for that album. And his mm. Prodigies, yeah, yeah. It, it, he did, he was good at discovering talent, and then a lot of these guys went off and started their own stuff and and tony continued to play traditional jazz and do other albums and tour with herbie hancock and some of their fellow miles davis alum but i gotta get my three words in because i made up a really cool word <laughs> my three words are fusion chaos and drumbustable because it's combustible with amazing drumming. Oh, wow i like what you did there <laughs> you seem to be coining a phrase every week what was last week's working on it? Oh, cliche riche was last week. Yeah, we gotta we gotta get some dough somehow, so we get those uh, get those hashtagged and copyrighted. <laughs> There's an interesting element here. What I first started looking for was some vocal jazz, but all I was finding was things that were more like swing, like Frank Sinatra and things of that nature, and it, that wasn't that wasn't doing anything for me in the in the jazz place in my body. So. <laughs> <laughs> where where is the jazz place in your body exactly? That's for me to know and you to find out, handsome. All right, so why don't we <laughs> why don't we jump into one of the tracks that have some of Tony's kind of really personality filled and interesting vocal stylings? We're gonna listen to a little bit from Beyond yeah, Games. It can be fun, don't you know? You know it's having fun that you grow. I feel that just feels so 69 groovy to me, which oh is part of what I find delightful. Now, he does use lyrics a little more, a little less party and a little more effectively in some of the later tracks. Yeah. It's so Hendrix. Yeah, there's definitely some Jimmy in this thing. Those, those passages, man, they kind of took me out of it for a minute, I, I, especially that one. I, I don't know. It's a little too. Uh... Did that bother you at all, Don? Like the uh, sort of like beat poet vibe going on there? I don't know. It really threw me off the first time I heard it. It was a surprise because I think the first track doesn't have any vocals at all, right? And so then all of a sudden there's there's somebody doing this. There's some vocal stylings. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I I think it fit with the 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 vibe of of the album. So I was uh, I, I was okay with it. I picture Tony saying, "Hey, mic me up. Maybe the music will move me to say something." You know, and I don't think this was written down. I don't think this was like the lyrics to the song. I think it's just what he was feeling. And this was the kind of recording where you just do it and you record it. There's not multiple tracks or takes. This is go with the flow kind of a thing. The jazz, you know, improv kind of 
background. So I like it from that perspective that I know it was just what was in his heart, how he was feeling in that moment making this making this album and this song. The whole record has a very live feel to it. I don't know how it was recorded, um, but it really does feel like it's almost like a concert. Yeah. Or they're just kind of jamming. Yeah, uh, to something special and Via the Spectrum Road are great songs, but they're pretty much rock tracks, if you ask me. But this whole thing is just so much fun to listen to. I It was a fun way for me to find my foot in the door, find something on my own that I'd never heard of. And then I was delighted to find all these ties to Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock and other artists where I, I found this drum-led album. And then turns out the guy is a drum prodigy that's been in a ton of projects, which made it even cooler. I met my goal. I found something jazzy, but duty at the same time <laughs> or dude ish yeah. we don't want to say duty that that gives the wrong impression if <laughs> if you're five <laughs> so which you are if you're if you're a rock and roller looking for a little a little crack in the window a little way in this kind of influential possibly the first true jazz fusion album ever go check out the tony williams lifetime emergency what did we learn today, my fellow jazz hounds? All right, so I think finding like your way into jazz is is important. That's uh, something we all were able to do, so that's awesome. It seems like um, one thing I really appreciate about the two records that you guys picked out was uh, like how more emotional they were, and I guess sort of more easily relatable for me. I think for whatever reason, I gravitate more towards the complex, necessarily obtuse records in jazz for some reason, and that I think I really enjoyed. Your T-Pex, especially because I felt like I was, I related to a more on emotional level, which was cool. And I, I appreciate that. I learned that I can love jazz music. Wow. You learned to love again. Oh. If I have the time, you know, I, I think I could become a, a, a real jazz head. I, I guess I, I had an epiphany moment. You know, I was walking the, the dog. I have my new digital audio player. I'm listening to Herbie Hancock, uh, you know, through Tidal. So, you know, on decent headphones. And it was just a, you know, it was just a great sonic experience. And, you know, it was just like a, I get it moment. And so I know, I think I can build from that. And I mean, I think it's going to take the rest of my life to truly understand jazz, but, you know, hopefully I, I have a lot of time. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, I had, uh, I've I've always I've had moments where I'm like, oh, I got to get into this more. This is great, but finding this way in that speaks to me. And like I mentioned at the end of the Tony Williams spiel, that's pretty much it. Found a foothold, Miles Davis. Then you know, and I've tried to avoid Miles Davis because that's what everyone does. But I feel like if I'm coming to it organically, then I can unclench and just enjoy. You know. <laughs> and that's one to grow on alright boys and girls gather around it is time once again flip the switch warm up those hard drives oh yeah gotta feel the wheel gotta put in the inputs alright without any further innuendo let's uh, give that musical wheel of destiny a spin I have chosen the music of Motown. Hey, all right. Cool. 
So this, not Motown era, but any artist or group that was signed to the Motown label. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite jazz album? Uh, what's your favorite Motown album? To what else are you listening? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Album Nerds. And if you'd like to support the show, do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Album Nerds Podcast. We'll check you next week with a little bit of Motown. Thanks for listening. Catch you on the flippity flip. <laughs> See, that was that was improvised. You know, I didn't because it's like jazz. It's yeah, jazz, jazzy. Yeah. Throwing a little ski bop, <laughs> and then we're good. Subidu bop bop bibidu. I'm keeping that. Ha <laughs> 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 <laughs>